With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. Welcome, everyone. Today, I'm joined by lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about why this housing recession is different. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is wonderful to be here. I hope everyone had a very, very lovely Thanksgiving uh, meal. Yes, this is a special bonus episode for Black Friday, so it might be even more freewheeling than normal. So we're just unleashed today. It's a holiday. Shouldn't be working. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about this recession, why it's different. Well, the housing recession, of course, how I always define it is sales go down, production goes down, jobs are lost, and incomes are lost. Now, that all is happening together. But what's different about this housing recession is a lot of this has to do with affordability issues uh, rather than uh, credit. The reason that's so important is because during the housing bust, credit was deteriorating, right? Uh, Lenders were going uh, out of business because the business model was completely broken. Um, Here, we literally have an affordability issue that's really draining uh, uh, sales down and affecting the business model in that in that sense. Uh, so there are two different uh, cycles, and I think the best the best way for me to kind of explain why credit uh, channels are are very cr- are critical. The existing home sales report we just had last week, total inventory data, which has been falling now for three months, nothing nothing big or or spectacular, typical seasonality of inventory, is one point two two million. You know, in 2005, we had 2.5 million uh, active listings, but we had a massive credit boom that was forming, right? Uh, uh, Mortgage credit uh, was exploding on what I call exotic loan debt structures, structures of debt that were not designed to have like a long-term fixed product. So that kept sales from booming or it kept sales booming more and more and more and more. So what happened is that in 2005, the ability for sales to continue was literally impossible unless the credit market got bigger and bigger. So it couldn't anymore, right? Uh, And and in 2005, we saw the peak in uh, housing demand, purchase application data peak, home sales peak, but they were from such elevated levels that when it all comes crumbling down, right, credit would get itself uh, tighter. And then sales would fall, and then the system would basically kind of implode in that sense. None of that is happening right now. What we have is a basic straight affordability issue. Uh, And this is why in years 2020 to 24, I've always said, uh, as long as home prices only grew at 23% for five years, we'd be okay. That didn't happen, of course. So when mortgage rates got above 4%, 4%, the housing demand got hit, not as bad as I thought it would, but... Five to six, seven percent, of course, it just got worse. But the system is still intact, right? People aren't rushing to sell their homes. They're not foreclosing. They're not filing for bankruptcies. We're still in an economic uh, expansion. But the credit profiles look so much better. Why? Because the homeowner, right? If you want to give thanks for Thanksgiving, the homeowner looks so much better now 
than any other time in history. And this is why this recession, this is why inventory levels are never exploding like, like we saw in the past, because the American homeowner is in a much better spot. All the loans that were given in after 2010 were legit products, fixed long-term debt costs, rising wages, multiple refinancing waves in 2012, 2016, 2020, and 2021. So the household looks great. And because of that, you know, it is shielded for a lot of the negative impacts that we've seen in other parts of the economy. Uh, and, and that is something to be grateful for. And, you know, we have to go ahead and give credit to the regulations that were put in with Dodd-Frank, right? I mean, this is why it looks so different the last time. The bankruptcy laws before Dodd-Frank ever thought about being the bankruptcy laws and then the, you know, qualified mortgage rules and just all of the Dodd-Frank things because we don't have those kind of borrowers in this system at all. The unsung hero of the longest economic and job expansion ever recorded in history, if it wasn't for COVID, we would have never had that brief recession uh, and the massive uh, rebound in, in economic uh, activity, the America's Back Recovery Model, which I wrote on April 7th, 2020, a lot of that had to do with household balance sheets looked good. And I, I just think that over the last 10 years, we've had a bunch of people, whether they be stock traders, YouTubers, or anything like that, don't have the training to look at credit risk profiles. And it really showed because... During the longest economic and job expansion in history, everybody was there was a recession coming every 12 hours. Never happened. Um, when COVID happened, of course, everybody went straight into housing crash mode, right? And they just naturally thought that, well, when, when, when everyone's alive, people are going to run to the... No, it doesn't work that way. Housing is the cost of shelter to your own capacity to own the debt. We saw credit deterioration in 2005, 6, 7, and 8, then the job loss recession happened after that. We do not see credit deterioration for 12 years. This is why I always say a second grade education and visibly being able to look at something with your eyes, you can see this in the data. We're not asking you to read quant models or anything like that. It was there always, but for some reason, people just chose not to believe it, right? So here it is, the biggest affordability hit in our lifetimes, right? Uh, with massive home price gains, which are savagely unhealthy. That's been a big theme of mine. But the homeowner was like, hey, we're good. We're good. As long as we're employed, we are good, right? And uh, uh, the the mindset that people are investors, right, uh, it just it isn't true. The majority of home buyers are primary resident home buyers, right? They make more money than you, so you don't understand why they're sitting in their homes living their lives. And that's a problem when you think that they're broke. It just doesn't work that way. We have historical data to show us when credit stress happens. It hasn't been here, right? Because of everything that was put into place because of the 2005 bankruptcy reform laws, people were filing for bankruptcy like crazy back in the days, right? Because you could. And now you can't anymore, especially if you have the ability to pay. And then the QM laws. And having the longest economic and job expansion in history means you're more suited into your lifestyle. So here's this humongous shock of COVID, right? And homeowners uh, manage that. Here comes a humongous shock of the housing recession. And the six recession red flags are up. And home sales are already down big. Purchase application data is below 2008 levels. And total inventory is 1.22 million, right? 
almost 800,000 below the bottom end level of the four-decade trend in the United States of America. Why? Because the homeowner is in a good spot. So the Federal Reserve is correct when they say that. Uh, I think if people want to look at struggling renters, that's fine. I've always talked about it. Let's talk about the struggling renters that have to deal with housing inflation in a much bigger fashion than than other people, uh, especially on the lower income side. But don't put the homeowner in this category because the data has shown this for 10 years now. You know, you mentioned the Fed. And so let's go back a little bit, right? So this week, you talked about the Fed's recession obsession. But let's not forget that part of the reason that we came through the COVID-19 recession so fast was the actions of the Fed at that time. So, you know, the Fed, the Fed did us a solid there as far as the housing market consumers. These days, not so much. I look at the Federal Reserve as this. Um their dual mandate is basically control or have stable prices and facilitate employment. We just had the longest economic and job expansion ever recorded in history. They did a great job, right? We had a COVID, we had a global pandemic. They did a great job. Okay, so what the Federal Reserve got into is that they didn't want to make the same mistake. Uh, uh, you know, we had a very weak recovery after 2008. A lot of that has to do with household Demographic profiles were different. And then the credit stress, we had to do a lot of deleveraging, right? We had to do a lot of foreclosures and short sales. The credit system needed time to repair itself. So they were just going to let the, the market, uh, that the entire economy just run hot for a while. And now they realize they have to play catch up. My issue with the Federal Reserve now, because remember, I'm being a part of team higher rates, team savagely unhealthy housing market. We've got to stop this, Okay. You got to stay consistent. So what's different now is that the Federal Reserve doesn't need to like freak out every time the stock market rallies or bond yields fall down, right? We we had mortgage rates go from six seven point three seven five to six, and they're already saying, "No, wait a second, no, 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 we're wait. You don't need to do that. You need to act like you've been there before, right? Soft people don't know how to be tough in a tough situation because they don't they've never been there before." Act like you've been here before. It's okay that if stocks rally a little bit or bond yields fall down a little bit, mortgage rates moving from 7.375 to 6.60 is not going to change the dynamics of housing through. You have to worry about massive housing inflation ever again. Okay. We have the growth rate of inflation da- inflationary data falling in a few things already, right? Shelter inflation, which is the big driver, of course, is already falling. We have a group of people on Twitter from multiple different various sets, all looking at real live data. Don't be the lagging institution. Don't act like an old, slow turtle, right? Everyone else is, you know, Bugs Buddy here, right? Don't act like the slow turtle. Know and adjust and make the commentary a little bit more real. Like when Waller said, housing market is fine. The housing market went into recession in June. If you, as an institutional leader, don't know this, then you should not be an institutional leader. If you are a pawn first-year data analyst and don't get it, okay, fine. Your inexperience shows, but you're not in that category. You have to acknowledge where the recession is so you don't get yourself caught back in a situation where six months down the line, oh my God, the U.S. economy is in a recession. What are we going to do? We might have, you know, so... Be a little bit more creative in your talking points. I know you might be only talking to bond traders or Wall Street, but 
when people hear this, it just sounds weird for them. So adjust, adapt, realize you are in a better spot as a Federal Reserve. You've already got a lot of rate hikes in. You know the rate hikes are lagging uh, the, the economic impact. And some of the growth rate of inflation data is already falling, right? You're already there. You don't need to add any more uh, uh, fuel to the fire at this point. I think that's a great point, especially when, you know, the if you're talking about the mortgage market, specifically housing, whatever, it's like to say it's fine is just is just not reality. And also like, you know, now we're at cost to originate where, you know, it actually people are, you know, IMBs are losing money every time they originate a loan. So how do you expect people to be able to do that, you know, for any length of time? And, you know, I understand that this is the lever they can pull, but it is not okay during that to then say, oh, everything's fine. Here's here's how you get out of the housing recession. Here's how you avoid a actual recession in the economy. So I my six recession red flags are up. Historically, it's always been a recession. I'm only watching for jobless claims right now. But if the growth rate of inflation falls, and if mortgage rates fall with it, if you just get to 5%, you stabilize the bleeding right? And if you're done hiking rates and you cut a little bit, what we call the 2018 pivot, right? That already happened. We were expanding the economy in 2019. And in 2020, before COVID happened, we had breaking data, uh, housing data broke out actually uh, in, in January and February of 2020. You can get there if you want to. If you're trying to thread the needle, right? The growth rate inflation falls, everything. Then at least, you know, if you do have a job loss recession, it'll be small, Right, uh, uh, you can you can minimize that, uh, or if you can avoid it altogether. This is why I've always said uh, there's two things that can stop this recession from happening: the growth rate of inflation falls, right, and because of that falls, real wages actually pick up a little bit more because we're working from an elevated level. Then you know uh, uh, mortgage rates fall. You know even if the Fed funds rate doesn't fall, mortgage rates just get toward five percent. Stop the bleeding, right. Uh, uh, and, and then you could add some life into the sector of economy. Remember, the housing market is still a, a big part of the U.S. economy. It's traditionally hard to think that you don't get a recession if housing and autos are both going into a recession together. So uh, we're at this very unique stage again. Again, none of us, none of us wanted a global pandemic. We got it. We dealt with it. None of us wants to deal with the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the European energy war that they're having. But we have to deal with the realities of what we're what we're given with today. And I just say that to the Federal Reserve, you are in a different spot, right? Today, day after Thanksgiving, than you were last Thanksgiving, which is funny because last Thanksgiving, my I went straight on inverted yield curve watch back then, right? And people are like, what are you talking about? I said, yeah, it's the same thing happened in uh, going into 2018. 2018, actually, my forecast was for yields to invert. That is a recessionary uh, data line. Now, I, I argued back in 2018, even when it happens, we shouldn't think about the general recession. It's just one variable. But here, you know, you got some things that could that, that could take you there. And we're, we're here already. So adapt, learn, try to limit the damage as much as possible. But for Pete's sake, when the markets rally, bond markets rally, you don't have to freak out every single time. It's it really is weird to see this reaction they're giving. I understand. I mean, part of my talking points with the Fed is that they just have to talk tough. You know, they just have, they don't want credit conditions to get looser, but we're at a different stage right now than we were in the, even in the summer 
uh, of this year and definitely a much different stage than uh, last Thanksgiving. Well, and I don't think they're just talking tough. I mean, they have risen, you know, they have raised rates, raised rates, raised rates, and then let us know, hey, another one's coming, even though, you know, the pain is real. So I don't think they're just talking tough. Well, I, 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 when I, when I talk about talking tough is that we all know they're raising rates. That's not, that's not the question is that whenever they're asked, what do you need? Oh, we might need 7%. I think Bullard comes out. Oh, we need 7% rates. We need this. We need that. Whenever the stock market rallies and the bond market rallies, they freak out, right? They, and you know, they, this happened in summer. In summer, they literally said, Oh, no, we can't have this happening. Mortgage rates back to 5%. No, stock market rallying. No. So they all came together and, and they did a joint effort. I'll give them credit. They, they all said, We need higher rates. We need more Americans to have pain. Here you're in a different spot than you were back then, okay? If the core rate of inflation and some of the data lines weren't falling, we'd be in a, we'd have a different conversation, but that's not the case anymore. Uh, used car prices are falling. Uh, growth rate of rent is falling. The Shanghai port prices are almost collapsed back down to pre-COVID levels. We are in a different spot, so just land the plane. Right? Don't crash the plane. Don't crash the Land the plane out here, and when you know, and you could get there. And, and and again, we all know this because in this new day and age of social media and internet, all the data miners around the world are actually looking and providing data out to other people. So the Federal Reserve cannot just say, "Well, our word is God," and nobody understands. We hey, listen. We're all flipping out data daily out here. So the the country as a whole has more information. Now, of course, the professional grifting troll nation is always doom and gloom, and that gets the clicks. But some of us believe in just looking at economic models because we want to be the detective, not the troll. Uh, a, a catchphrase. If we were playing Logan Bingo on this podcast, we would check off, be the detective, not the troll. So because it is a special episode, because it is a freewheeling episode, I'm just going to push all your buttons. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk all about all the things. So let's first, Logan, tell me why I should not be worried about investors buying all the properties. Now, Let's just say, yes, investors are also affected by interest rates and probably there's, you know, the flipping is probably just gone for a while until until rates come down. But still, there is a feeling out there that investors own too much of the property that that is available, turned it into renters. Give me your best on that. So if investors didn't buy those properties and made them into rentals, then if they were homeowners, we'd have more rent inflation, right? Yes. Yes. So I think um, majority of investors in this country are mom and pops. The issue I've always had with making investors the biggest buyers of homes in America is that, again, if you have a second grade education, you can visually see it was never part of the data, not one time, not one month, not one minute. Um, Mortgage buyers are the biggest buyers in America, primary resident mortgage buyers. Right. So they run the show. So rates matter because of that. Um, Part of my, you know, after, you know, uh, the savagely unhealthy housing market in February and then the Fed went pivot and then housing reset. One of the things I was concerned about is if rates came back down, you know, we needed to find a way to put home sellers, home builders and and investors on their ass 
right? Because, you know, the market got too wild. And I don't trust people when markets get wild because people do what they need to do to make the most money possible. So you have to create checks and balances. Home sellers, no contingency, multiple, you got to put them on their ass. Home investors flooding in money, you know, flipping things, you got to put them on their ass. That gets you balanced, right? The home builders, excess charging on their homes, put them on their ass. Guess what happens? That's how you get balance back. But the, but a lot of people made, uh, and, and this is the reality, Wall Street investors are, have always been very small uh, or big institutions. So going from 0.4% to 2.4% of buyers isn't that meaningful, but it is a class warfare topic out there. And it also shows that, especially in blue states where they don't allow zoning and building, uh, that you know trying to blame them for the lack of building in your state because you have a chaotic mob mentality of preventing building, that's on you. That's not on them. Don't don't cop out because you you have a system of zoning that doesn't allow building to go in there. Oh, let's blame Wall Street. Well, the biggest buyer in your city or mortgage buyers, we don't care. If we say Wall Street, we say class warfare. So uh, that's why I say Elizabeth Warren doesn't rip on home sellers making excess money and killing contingencies because they're voters, right? So it's the politics of economics that, you know, uh, and, and here's a lot of people say, well, why don't they ever just like uh, tell tell sellers you have to uh, investors you have to sell or why don't they give like tax benefits or listen, a politician is gutless in this sense. If you go to them and say, why don't you do this? You know what they're going to tell you? They're going to say, well, we have renters in those houses. And if we do anything, they're going to kick those renters out. That means a family is going to be kicked out of their house in this renting environment, right? Uh, and that's why nobody, no politician really does that. They talk about it. Oh, my God, Wall Street is buying up everything. Math, second grade education, visually see. They're not the biggest buyers out there. We don't care. It's class warfare, right? So that's fine in that sense. But if you ask them, they go, well, if we kick renters out of their house, we're going to get looked at and you're not going to win. You are right. The voters are going to go, wow, you kicked out those people and gave Wall Street investors. And then it's not going to be that big of a number out there. So uh, that's why you don't see any action. But you see all this noise. So mom and pop investors run the show. Uh, the flipping business is cooling down as a show. We saw this in 2018 and 19 as well, right? Rates will go higher. They're not as they're they're not as gun ho in flipping properties in a downtrending market. So that's a positive in that sense. But the notion that Wall Street or big institutions were buying just it was never there in the data. But class warfare is what we do. Politics is the word itself. Politics, many blood sucking parasites. Our job is data matters. We don't care about that because we believe numbers are the closest thing to the handwriting of God. And whatever the extreme left or right talk about it, nope, you stay in the middle, you focus on numbers, you don't watch TV or T and just go with it. And you show people that the history of human civilization actually believes that people who read and know facts are better than the, the extremes on either side who propagate stuff for either uh, winning the mob or uh, uh, getting votes in that sense. And the the history. Mortgage buyers were the biggest buyers in America. Millennials were the biggest buyers. So if you're not blaming them, then what are you doing, right? So uh, there's a lot of states that just, it's very hard to build and it caught up. And, and, and big talking point of mine, we finally got caught. We were able to get away with not having enough active units from 
you know, 2012 to 2019, because I've talked about that myself, is that we have plenty of homes to buy to keep things at bay. And we have no bidding wars or anything, but we finally got caught when inventory hit all-time lows, all-time lows, nominal terms, uh, adjusting to population and adjusting to households, lowest levels ever recorded in history. And the people out there that said, but there's 15 million vacant homes, nobody cares, right? The data never cared for four decades and neither should you. There was no 15 million homes vacant out there. Only professional troll artists who are all anti-central bank people say this for 12 years. They were housing deflationary people. And then kaboom, you had the biggest inflationary uh, uh, point in U.S. history for housing. And they're like, but there's 15 million vacant homes. Just shut up. It's 12 years you've been saying the same thing. It doesn't work that way. We have an active listing data line. It's been here for four decades before some of you were even born. Your children were born. Just look at it. Just watch and look. That's the listings data, right? So, but no. So we deal with this all the time with crazy people. And that's why we want to focus people on data and facts and numbers, right? You you are playing right into my hands, Logan. Like I I love it when you get all passionate. Okay, let's let's bring up another third rail issue. Another thing that is going to get you just over the top. Let's talk about the housing bubble boys. Right, this whole episode is why this recession is different from the last one, and why no one should expect to see housing crash in 2023. And you and I both know that the the whole thing is that the reason we talk about this is because it's all over social, but it's not just social. It's all over other news sites too, that housing is going to crash. Um, and, and the search term housing crash, and then insert, insert a year is one of the biggest search terms we see on our site and other sites. Sarah, have you ever danced with the devil? <laughs> I am going to say well, no. Yes. I've I would danced say with no the bride of the devil and she whispers crazy things in your ear. To get you to think crazy things. And let me tell you something. The, the Housing Bubble Boys 2.0, which I've dealt with for a very long time, are professional grifters and they're anti-central bank people. And most of them hide behind fake names. None of them ever forecast. But the term housing crash, because literally we're in a housing recession. Literally, the model I drew up was specifically designed that, hey, listen, if this thing's, we're going to break and we're going to break bad. That happened. But the notion that it, it's so funny to me. I see these people using these 2008 analogies and they never want to show the inventory charts now, right? This is why I show the total active listing inventory charts every single day. I will shove that you know, uh, in your brain 24-7 to realize that if you just had, again, second grade education, visually see. We had inventory skyrocket before the recession started because we had a credit boom and bust. Historically speaking, you don't have a bubble in the same industry back to back, right? So the housing reco recovery that we saw in the previous expansion was the weakest ever recorded in history. You know, if it wasn't for COVID, we would have still be having the same expansion. Here we have massive price inflation in a very short amount of time, but no sales boom, no credit boom, nothing like that. 2020 existing home sales were only 130,000 more than 2017 levels. So does that 130,000 more sales make it a massive credit sales boom? No, it doesn't. Even if I adjust the numbers for two years running, 350 to 370,000 more. No, it doesn't. So here it is. It happened this year, Sarah Wheeler. 
We are below 2008 levels in purchase application. They dreaded 2008 world. And inventory is not even close to the four-decade average of 2 million active listings or 2.5 million active listings. That's what it's been for four decades. The population is now 330. The whole thing was a scam, right? It was just professional grifting. And this is why all I need to do is show the total inventory chart and just say, where's your forecasts for the last 10 years? These people go, I don't forecast. I just talk about this. No, you don't. You keep on saying there's 10 to 15 million vacant homes. And remember, the anti-central bank movement of the housing deflationary people are actually people that have said for population growth falling for many years that there was never going to be a way that prices could escalate. And they whiffed. And they're still talking. Like if I got my handed to me as bad as that, I would go into my cave troll and lock myself in until I'm dead. But no, they keep on doing the same thing over and over again. Actors, there's no housing shortage ever because there's 15 million vacants. What are you talking about? There is an active listing data list. It hit all-time lows. That means there's never going to be a, a low listing period, right? And what, what we saw was accelerated bidding, right? Excesses biddings out there. That's not a good thing. That's savagely unhealthy. But again, this is what happens in this day and age because that is a very effective business model. Right. And this is why I always challenge these people to live debates, because I want to get you live on camera. I want your kids to see you. I want your spouse to see you. I want your coworkers to see you. And then I'm going to force you to man up and start forecasting and talk about your economic models. I don't do that. Well, no bleep. You don't do it because you are not the detective. You are simply an American bearish trolling person. And you got older and a lot of these guys are middle-aged guys, and they got older and older. And when you get older, you get crankier. You start losing your hair. Things don't work right. And then, oh, you just get more mad. And I hate the Fed. I hate the Fed, the Fed, the Fed, the Fed, Fed. And they will walk the afterlife. No ears, no eyes, tongue cut off, trying to scream that the balance sheets of the Federal Reserve has destroyed the entire world. If a comet or a giant rock was about to blow up, the world, and we we're going to die. They would say, it's the Fed's balance sheet that did all this. Because that's who they are. They can never change. And that's why most of these people hide behind stupid fake names, right? They run around the internet. They think about, this is 10 to 12 years. They're not young chickens anymore, right? The age and time is driving them. And they missed the longest economic and job expansion in history. They missed a COVID-19 recovery. Some people were born, Sarah, to always ice skate uphill. And then some of us were always born to win, right? So you have to choose yourself. Are you going to be a 24-7 doom and gloom? Because we believe that economic models do not prevent you from being a perma anything, perma bull or perma bear. Economic models are designed to talk about economic cycles and what to look for, right? In general terms, you're always in an expanding economy. But they bet against the United States of America, man. And they went all in in COVID. And even with that, they couldn't even. So just let these people show their true colors. And when time comes, they'll pass away. And like I've always said, we have a dark, deep graveyard of American bears since 1790. 
Let them go. Oh, there it is. I was going to ask you about 1790. I was like, I've yeah. not heard yeah. 1790. So they belong with their fellow brothers and sisters that have been bearish on the United States of America since 1790. You look at the history of America. Boy, we had more crazy bearish people back then, right, than we are now. And look where we are. We are the only economic superpower out there. Let these people cry about America till it's over. And when it ends, they join the list. That list is long. That list is long, right? Tell some of the redcoats I said hi when you go down there, right? Oh my gosh. Okay. You do not disappoint. Thank you for, uh, you know, letting us all hear your passion. I just wish people could see it. There was much gesticulation in that last rant. And so sorry that other people didn't get to hear it, see it, although they did hear some of the clapping, et cetera. Sarah, but- you should have seen me when I was a high school basketball coach. Okay. There was no sitting down ever. No, there uh, would be no sitting much- down. I can, I can see that. Well, on this Black Friday. Thank you for bringing your your insight, your humor, and your passion to our audience. Always appreciate you, Logan, and we will talk to you again soon. How have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW+, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW+, membership, you get access to longer-form digital content, the HousingWire magazine, member-exclusive rates to in-person events like Housing Wire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show or leave a comment. We'll see you back here on Monday for more news and insight.